welcome to Track. Talk. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Track Talk. I'm Nathan. And I'm Bailey. And we're joined today by our friend Robert. We are going to be talking to Robert about the music of the 60s and his experience living through that decade. So, Robert, just a little bit of context before we get into the music itself. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you were up to during the 60s? Well, the early part of the 60s, I was in high school and in the college. I really grew up listening to country music. I didn't get into the rock and roll era until after I graduated. And all of a sudden, you discovered artists like Roy Orbison and... Then, of course, you know, the Beatles came along and mm-hmm. other people. And, and uh, well, I enjoyed in that era listening to the, the background music, the guitars and drums, and mm-hmm. very, very enjoyable. Absolutely. What would you say was the theme of the music from the 60s, if you could say it in a phrase or a sentence? Mostly somebody's girlfriend left them. <laughs> Mostly it was something pertaining to their girlfriend got drowned or drowned it herself or oh my. all this kind of stuff and, and uh, then some of it was was wishing his girlfriend would come back and i wouldn't say cry in the blues but it you know kind of along that line mm-hmm. kind of like country music today exactly exactly mm-hmm. precisely so did you grow up in the south yes alabama so what, what were the country music artists that you were listening to during that time oh, before you got oh, into pop and rock and roll? Oh, Hank Williams Sr., and Conway Twitty, Loretta Lynn, just to mention three of the, the top well-known people. Now, Hank Williams was already dead during this time, but, you know, his music was very still, very, very popular. Porter Wagner, Dolly Parton, you know, the, the top-notch people like that. Then you had other people there that some of the names I don't even I recognize the music but I don't remember their names and mm-hmm. and those those were just some of the ones that that was and uh, they they were all that as you we used to say you know crying the blues type thing and the musical arrangement was just different instead of today you've got the burst of eardrums <laughs> loud banging and thumping and it's hard to tell what's going on and back in that day it was a slower trend of music a little softer a little more gentler but uh so we could uh kick back and enjoy that and then when i got into the rock and roll you know i had so much to discover and again the music was a skip along tempo but nothing like this banging and knocking today mm-hmm. more milder brand of it but some of it was your four four beat real real fast and some of it was slow but you could kick back and enjoy it the singers seemed to pronounce the words plainer in the old days than they do now that's a good point i've noticed that they, they've uh seems like you know well nowadays seems like they depend on the music to drown out their mistakes where in the <laughs> old days uh, a, a singer had to perform for anybody to buy his records so you had to be good. Your band had to be good. Did you have a ton of production going on? Right. Again, you know, some people come up. Like there, there was a, a Terry Stafford had a song, Suspicion. 
and that's the only song he had that ever made it big time. Then, gone. Never heard of him again. Then other people's come along, like the Beatles. Oh, good, good, good Lord, the old Mississippi boy, Elvis Presley. You know, he was around forever. Right. His voice, you know, good, smooth, mellow, plain, distinct. And again, some of his songs really moved, really made you jump. And then some of it was, was a little more slower. And this was a thing that I have noticed. And to be honest with you, I don't even listen to the music today. Country music or, or rock and roll or, or any of it. We have a cable station where we've got, got they, they play those classical songs of 50s and 60s. And that's what I listen to. Stuff that I was in school with and I recognize it, you know, it just brings back a lot of memories. And mm-hmm. I enjoy hearing the singers again and just comparing, boy, listening to those guitars and drums and that thing. And well, again, the Beatles, they had a lot of guitar and drum music and, and that, uh, that was right, right up my alley. Enjoy that. Can you remember when you were introduced to rock and roll as opposed to country? Probably 1965, back then, when I really started listening to it. So Beatles were already in full swing? Yes. They they were coming out, and, and uh, I just hit a band where, you know, I'd listened to country music all my life, and, and uh, hey, this is something you... Well, Roy Orbison was the artist that got me turned. I loved his music, Only the Lonely, and, and uh, he had one, Blue Bayou, and, and uh, again, the background music to it had that little skip-along tempo and a very, very beautiful singing voice, and I just fell in love with it. Most of them, first time I heard the songs, I'd say, hey, boy, well, i got to get a copy of this. <laughs> Go to the music store and, and uh, buy an album, then next thing you know, he to hear another one, and, and uh, this was basically what did it for me, was was Roy Orbison that made me start listening more to the to the rock and roll. But I, I still love my old country music, mm-hmm. and this is the one thing that I really miss, is just being able to, you got a song, okay, a 4-4 tempo, but it, back in that day, it wasn't burst your eardrums loud. Like today, you know, if it doesn't burst the eardrums, well, then it's not mm-hmm. not loud enough. And <laughs> it, it was a milder brand of music. Maybe that's the best way to put it. It was still rock and roll, and it still had a skip-along tempo, but it was a milder brand, easier to, to listen to. Mm-hmm. So and, you mentioned going to um, see the Drifters live. Did cool. you go to very many music events during the time, and what was kind of the vibe of those? Well, back where I grew up, they had built, not a museum, an uh, auditorium. Then when they started getting some of these artists to come in, they got Roy Orbison. I heard him in person. And, uh, you know, it just depended upon who they had coming in. And if they had someone I really wanted to, to listen to, well, I'd try to go. And, and if they didn't, well, you know, I was well familiar with their music and uh, just enjoyed it. That was the the big thing, the getting to hear Roy Orbison and the Drifters in person 
and hear them perform the songs that I'd been listening to on albums. You know, it just, hey, you know, boy, I know this one. I can sing this good as he can, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. But the artist seemed more dedicated to really performing back in that period. Today they just go out there and blah, 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 and sing and screech and jump up and down and make a lot of noise, but they're not really, to me, performing and singing. And the old guys back from the 60s and the 50s, back in this era, and well, Roy Orbison was that way. Other people. Can you speak a little bit about the stage presence and the persona, especially at live shows? The, when I saw Roy, he was just like he was on his on his albums. The same thing. I mean, he wasn't jumping up and down from one end of the stage to the other. And he stood there and he really intended on putting out a good performance. Mm-hmm. And it was just like being in, in the recording studio with him when he recorded these songs. It was never anything radical. It didn't look like he was just going out of his way to, to do anything. Everything just came natural. Just like if you and I were to walk up on stage and do a duet, you know, okay, <laughs> we do this all the time, and so let's just, just do what we do naturally, what we've done to sell the records. And, and that, that was a thing I noticed, and I had wondered about that, what it would be like to see him in person. But, it, you know, he w- was never anything... I would say, to draw attention. Mm-hmm. He performed. I'm going to sing my songs that you've been buying for years, and I'm going to perform for you, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. That was the impression that I had. And that's what the man did. And do you think compared to maybe somebody like Elvis, that, that kind of persona, that more down-to-earth, grounded, milder act made him more approachable or relatable or realistic, more of a good old boy, reminded you of some of that country music persona? Yes. I had that feeling that, you know, this guy, he, he's just down to earth. And there's some things that happened in Roy's life that I can well understand. Just the good old boy, everyday human being. It sounds like, especially for someone like you, with your background and the music that you were listening to and where you came from, he was the perfect transition into rock and roll. Exactly. Without being too gaudy or too full of himself. He was the perfect rock star. That, that's the word right there. He was not full of himself. Very, very humble guy. That's a perfect description right there. He, he was, a, as we used to say back in the South, he was one of the good old boys. And <laughs> just about any time he came on, everybody everywhere would stop and listen. Okay. So besides... Live music, what was the medium that you consumed music through? Did you listen to vinyl records, the radio mostly? Mostly the radio, plus I had my own little stereo. and You know, I'd go out and buy the music I wanted to listen to and concerts that would come into town. But, but the radio was a primary thing for everybody. Yeah. So just because our, our show, we normally talk about lyrics in particular, so the context and the musicality of the artists is absolutely important. We spend a lot of time talking about that. But uh, towards the end of the show, we, we like to focus on picking apart the lyrics and the meaning. And like you said, the 60s and prior had a very different flavor than the music that's been coming out in the contemporary scene in terms of vulgarity and sexual innuendo. And it was just much more of a down-to-earth type 
Can you speak about any lyrics that have stuck with you or that you've been hearing recently, your favorite songs? Uh, well, I don't remember the group that had the song Poison Ivy. And, you know, they sing in the song, that, you know, once you, you tangle with Poison Ivy, it makes you itch and all this kind of stuff. And, again, a little skip-along tempo, patchy toe rhythm to it. Is that the Coasters? Uh, that may have been them, Poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. That was always one of my favorite favorite songs. You never did hear it very much, and that's just one. But, uh, well, old Sam the Sham, the Pharaoh, and he came out, and, well, oh, golly, I can't even remember those, some of those groups that were, oh, the Platters, you know, they were very, very harmonized together, and some of their their lyrics, well, again, if you go back to, to Roy Orbison, Pretty Woman, Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's talking about, you know, he hope, hopes he comes back and lady walks by and, you know, apparently he's broken up with his girlfriend and this lady walks by and, you know, boy, she looks nice. I like getting to know her. And he says, wait a minute, here she comes. She's walking back. She's coming back. And, you know, I wonder if she's going to talk to me. And it's uh, kind of, well, you can't help but laugh, you know, if you've been in that situation in your own life and right. a lot of it. Now, some of the songs were, were comical, too, but, uh, but that was basically what I remember of that era, just that mild, bland of, of lyrical speech. Mm-hmm. Good, good uh, clear, clean English. And again, the songs that were written back in that day were a little different, a little, like I say, a little milder brand of what you're listening to today. You, you didn't hear all the profanity in, in a song and, and none of those sexual insinuations were there and all that. You know, it was much, much more reserved. That's all I can really tell you. It, it was a milder brand of today's music. And you could sit back and enjoy listening to it without getting your nerves all jangled up. You could understand what the people were singing about. That's kind of been my experience when... When the music is too fast, it kind of gets me anxious. It makes my heart beat a little bit too fast. Exactly. So it's nice to listen to something a little more chill. That that's a, well, that's the main reason. One of the main reasons there. And I'm from the old school. If you enjoy it, why change? Mm-hmm. Now you'd mentioned before that a lot of the topics of the lyrics, especially in the country music you were listening to early on, was about your girlfriend or losing your girlfriend or you know what. It, or, or, you know, Poison Ivy and Pretty Woman are all about women. And I would say even today, a lot of the, the top 40 songs are about women. Do you, do you have any thoughts on why that dominates the context of the lyrics so much? I, I couldn't say just my outlook back in that era. You know, that was when the, all the free love and everything was beginning to come out. Mm-hmm, good point. And it was... I guess maybe related to that, something that everybody from the president down to country bumpkin could relate to mm-hmm. very simply, very plainly. That would be the only thing I could think of. But mo- most of it was e- either that or related to it some way or the other. And that doesn't seem to have changed a whole lot in the decades since. No. Well, <laughs> well what else would they write about? Exactly. <laughs> Well, now those are all examples of men singing about women. And you'd mentioned a few female artists like Loretta Lynn and Dolly Parton. Who were your favorite female artists around this time? 
Or can uh, you remember what they were singing about? Oh, who was a girl that had the... Uh, he was a school teacher, and she was a student in school, and she falls in love with him, and... and uh, Oh, I can't, right off the top of my mind, I can't remember the name of that song. Sure, we can look it up later. I'll think of it when when this is over. Uh, sure, right, of course. <laughs> That's how it always, That's how goes. always happens. But she's, I uh, uh, think she was an English girl, and they, uh, that was the the one thing right there that, again, it's the love part of the theme, that she loves his teacher, and, and, and he he doesn't have anything whatsoever to do with her other than she's a student in his class. But To Serve With Love is the name of the song. To Serve With Love? Yes. And that's, uh, that was one thing. Well, there was a, a, a girl that had one about Judy's time to cry. You know, it's her birthday party and her boyfriend goes off with, with her. And she comes back and some guy comes over talking to her. And her old boyfriend runs over and pops him <laughs> in the head and... He still loves me. That's why. <laughs> so, you know, it's basically that, that same thing. You know? Well, um, have you seen any of your favorite artists evolve over the decades since the 60s? You mentioned how they've kind of still remained relevant today. Have you seen any of them evolve? No, not not at all. No? Okay. <clears throat> no, not, not any of them. Matter of fact, I don't even know if, if Roy Orbison's still alive. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. Seems like a lot of the Beatles dropped off too. Yeah. Now the you know Ringo with the with the well the drums and the guitar were my two favorite musical instruments. And anytime you had that that combo, boy, I pretty well liked the song. <laughs> and back in that era, you had a lot of that. The drums and you know were basically today. I don't know what they're playing, but like like I say, you know, I just don't don't listen to it today. Did you ever play the drums or the guitar? No, no, I didn't. No, the only musical instruments stereo or radio. <laughs> but you played those fine. Oh, I can do great with that. <laughs> it's a little bit unrelated to what we'll probably be talking about in next week's episode. But I'm interested if you had a perspective on the the British invasion. You know, the Beatles and the Yardbirds, and having all of these British bands become popular in America. Was there much of a precedent for that in the 50s, or was that unique to the 60s? And was was there something about the political climate or the cultural context of the day that facilitated that? I think most people just really listened to the music. And when the Beatles first came in, you know, all their songs were fast, and people liked to dance. And I think that was a big thing with it. They were the hot group, and everybody wanted to hear them. But I, I don't think them being British really... Nobody really cared one way or the other. They were speaking a universal language? Exactly. Gotcha. It was music. It's fast, and I like to dance to it, so let her rip. (laughs) Well, the people I was around, that was the attitude we had. You know, they're up there performing, and they've practiced for years, and and they've come here, you know, to perform for us. So, hey, kick back and enjoy. Let's put it this way. They were a lot better than some of the American groups running around, too, so... Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody likes to go with the winner. Mm-hmm. They were the big time hot hot players, so right. We went with them, and, but we still like our American people too. So, what was what do you think kind of informed the music of the time? What was going on in the world, maybe that would prompt people to make the more mild kind of music? What do you think? Well, when it started out, everybody listened to country music. Mm-hmm. Then Carl Perkins kicked off. 
the rock and roll, as we call it, and got that going. Then the slow changeover, the, naturally, the younger groups liked the, the rock and roll and the older people liked the country. And, and as time went on, you know, everything gets more and more radical. Mm-hmm. But they were slow changing over and new bands were coming on all the time trying to make it big time. And it was just a hard competition back in that day, a lot harder than today, I think. You had so many people out there and you come in and, and you get a good band going. Everybody wants to hear you. Well, then, poof, next thing you know, you're, you're gone. And I think the one big thing that was really doing it is the way they performed. Again, the music was not as radical as it is today. Now, some of those songs that they were wild, yes. And again, that real 4-4 tempo, you know, make you skip and jump and hop. And, but it, it was, uh, most of it was, not every song was like that. And it seems today everything you hear is, is that tempo. So did you perceive much of a spirit of rebelliousness with this wave of rock and roll? When we were doing the 50s episode last week, we talked a lot about how there was a lot of counterculture sentiment in, in developing rock and roll and being more scandalous. You know, movies, movies being shut down because uh, people were dancing to rock around the clock in the aisles. And uh, Elvis adding some sensuality or sexuality to his songs. Did you perceive much of that? Or coming into it in the mid-60s, had that rebelliousness sort of died down and it started merging with a milder think, country? I think that more or less depended on the individual. Hmm. But uh, as you were saying, when it first came out, boy, everybody was all was against it. You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the world's going to come to an end. Right. And, you know, they're going to kick you out of church when you listen to that and all this stuff. But it slowly changed. People found out that, you know, it wasn't going to key if you listened to it. And nobody, nobody was going to go out and get in a barroom fight and all this stuff. It just, you know, it was just music, mm-hmm. a different style of music from what you've been listening to and enjoy it. And a lot of it I don't even care about, but it, it's, uh, it isn't good for anything else. It, it passes the time. And you can listen, I like to listen to the different instruments in it and see if I can identify them. And, but that's about the main thing right there, is just being able to, to accept it and, and it's here and it's not going away. You know, why fight it? Enjoy it. And is that the main value in music to you, is listening to the instruments and being able to pick out the instruments and appreciate the virtuosity of the people playing it? Exactly. And a good voice, more so than the lyrics and what they're singing about? Exactly. I mean, you can take Roy Orbison, you know, he could take a song that, that you and I wouldn't even listen to and, and make a hit out of the thing. And he could read the nutrition ingredients on the back of a box. <laughs> Absolutely. There you go. And sing about that and get a hit off of it. Right. Not of because he was Roy Orbison and I'm who I am, but just, you I mean, the man could perform. Mm-hmm. Right. Beautiful singing voice. I think that was a thing that... that Separates. I mean, look at Elvis's smooth, mellow voice. Well, the Beatles, how they harmonized. And you major, if you look at your major groups, they're all that way. The Platters, the Drifters, you know, by those, those are my favorite people right there that mm-hmm. we're talking about. It was good music to listen to. And that's what matters. Exactly. The performer, I don't care if he's six foot nine or two foot three. You know, <laughs> if you can sing, you can sing. 
Right. Um, well, I have one last question. Do you have any more questions, Nathan? Just one thing to wrap up with. And Robert, thank you again for taking the time to sit down with us. We really Thanks. do appreciate this. It's so great to be able to hear from somebody who lived through this decade and was as involved with music as you were. And Get some perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it really helps us out. We can only speculate. You know, we can we can read the articles and, and, and listen to the music and say what it means to us nowadays. But not having lived through it, we really need to hear it right from the horse's mouth. So go ahead, babe. All right. Well, um, if you had to choose one song to represent the entire decade of the 60s, what would it be? Oh. And not not specifically, because I imagine that you're leaning toward Roy Orbison. Uh, um, and, and that's certainly a, a valid answer. But something that you heard a lot of people listening to or that, that, that you know, got so much popularity and notoriety during the time that, that you think really embodied not just your experience of the 60s, but the feel of the 60s in general? Well, back, you know, that was when a lot of rebellion was beginning to, to rise around 65 and 66. And the Vietnam conflict was getting fired up. And, you know, everybody just seemed like they were ready to, to fight each other. Mm-hmm. And I think the one the one song back then is... a. Uh, the guy had the, the song Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Oh, yeah. I think that thing ran number one for about four months, and it, that 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 would be the one song that I I think most people were listening to. That I, I well now let me say that I remember hearing back in that thing, and that one sticks to me. Absolutely, I think I think that's a perfect one. Uh, I hear that in the supermarket still all the time. It was popular enough that it's it's seeped into 2017. Takes a special kind of hit to do that. Oh, good lord, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Robert, the last thing that I wanted to ask you is we're moving forward. We're going to be spending this week in the interview with you. Next week, we're going to talk about the 60s and feminist critical theory. And then we're going to be moving on to the 70s and then the 80s and then the 90s all the way up until today. And I'm curious, as you think about the music that's evolved since the 60s, what is it that you would like to have seen stick around that made the 60s as powerful as they were, that made the music so enjoyable to you. And you mentioned that you don't really listen to contemporary music anymore. It just doesn't do it for you. What is it that you think that we're missing nowadays and that you would have liked to see? Well, back in, again, if I may say so, the drugs and everything were not as predominant as we have today. And all, all the bad things you hear in the world, they were there, but they were not that predominant. And I would love to see it just a more simpler approach to everything. The music, you know, soften it up a little bit. You don't have to burst my eardrums to, to convince me you got a good song and go back a little bit. Well, they've done away with the steel guitar, and I would love to hear that in mm-hmm. some of the music. I really miss hearing that. Well, when I listen to those old songs, boy, I can just sit there and hear those notes and really enjoy it. But again, that was my era of music that I loved, and people love it. Today's music, well, they feel the same way. Right. I can tell what you mean, especially if you're saying that your favorite instruments are the drum and guitar. I would say that of all the instruments that you see on on a band stage nowadays, those are the ones that have been cranked all the way up, that you just play the snot out of, that are so loud and muddled, as opposed to the intricacy and nuance and, and skillful playing that you see back in the 60s. Exactly. Exactly. And that's all. It seems like all you have to do nowadays is just make noise and you got a hit. Right, that's the 
well, it was a more simplistic way of performing and, and uh, the music. But again, every every decade, it, everything changes. So if they like it, great. I keep my old music. There you go. That's very fair. I think that's a that's a very wise and a very caring perspective that, you know, people who were just listening to country music said the same thing about rock and roll uh, that I'm sure that you're going to be saying about heavy metal and hip hop. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it. But if you know what you like, stick with that. That's it. All right. Robert, unless you have any other closing remarks, anything that you can't live without making its way onto the radio. <laughs> no. All right. I think well, then, enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, then we'll call it a day. Robert, I want to thank you again so much for sitting down with us and taking all this time and sharing your experience and your perspective. This means a lot to us and to our listeners, too, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Until next time. <laughs>